Think this over as you join us today for Abounding Grace. Is the Spirit of God at home in your life? Not just the Spirit of God dwelling in you as an event that God has done in your life, that you are saved now and He dwells in you, but listen, is He at home in your life? Is He at home in your life? Are you enjoying the presence of God's Spirit in your life? Or are you quenching the Spirit of God, grieving the Spirit of God, hindering the work of God's Spirit in your life? The Spirit of God dwelling, the Spirit of God at home in you. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. Then you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. When we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives. But today, we want to ask you to consider whether or not the Holy Spirit is at home in your life. Perhaps you've been quenching the Spirit or hindering His work in your life. Well, that can change today. And Pastor Ed Taylor will explain how through his study in Romans chapter 8 on Abounding Grace. In the battlefield of our minds, what's controlling our minds? Or a better question is, who's controlling our mind? And we looked at that in depth the last time we were together. What's controlling our mind? Who's controlling our mind? Is it the fleshly tendencies that we so easily can have? Our carnality, living for the flesh, living in the flesh? Is that where our mind is? Or is the Holy Spirit of God in control of our mind? Is He feeding us spiritually, growing us, keeping us focused on that which is important, that which draws us nearer to the heart? Of our Father. We looked at it last week, didn't we? Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 5. Because you're like, what? I don't know who's controlling my mind. I'm not sure. How can I tell? Well, Romans chapter 8, verse 5, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. It's a vicious circle, isn't it? You're living in the flesh, your mind's on the flesh. You're living in the flesh, your mind's on the flesh. It almost as if seems like there's no way out. But that's the way it is. When you live according to the flesh, your mind follows. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And it's just as a great of a circle of living in the Spirit, living for the Spirit, living by the Spirit, as it is living this flesh-filled, carnal life. A life of defeat and condemnation. The flesh will always produce death. Our flesh, what does that mean? Does it just mean our human carcass? No, our flesh refers to those habits that we have that don't include God. The habits that you picked up as an unbeliever, perhaps. The habits that you say, well, when the time gets tough, I'm going to revert back to my own understanding. My own fleshly, sinful habit patterns. When the Spirit of God is ruling in our minds, notice verse 6, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And it's wonderful to live with life and peace. When our flesh is ruling our life, there's death. There's frustration. There's difficulty at every turn. Nothing comes easy to the person living in and living for their flesh, living in carnality. And it's good, isn't it? Romans chapter 8, verse 1 opens up with no condemnation. We need to understand that. 
that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Condemnation from someone, condemnation from something, condemnation through a accusation, condemnation. Well, I think condemnation comes often from ourselves. We can be our own worst enemy, beating ourselves up over our failures, always having them before us. When you live and I live in the flesh, when you live and I live for our flesh, living contrary to God's heart for our lives, I'll tell you, it will be a life void of peace. You just never sense the peace of God. Never really have that sense where God is for you. We pick up where we left off in verse 8. He says, those that are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. The Holy Spirit at work in the believer's life, when you and I were born again, the Holy Spirit began these wonderful series of works in your life. The emphasis so often is what you do for God and how you're supposed to work and make sure you do this. But understand, when you were born again, God, he continued his work in you. He went from convicting you and drawing you to then indwelling you, the Holy Spirit of God. You know, being born again happened by the Holy Spirit. Jot this down in Titus chapter 3. I'll read it to you. In Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, the Spirit, he himself regenerates a person. And by the way, if you weren't here on Wednesday night... We paused in John's Gospel and we looked at the deity of the Holy Spirit. So many questions about who the Holy Spirit is and we just walked through the Scriptures to learn who the Holy Spirit is according to the Word. And so far that we've looked at the deity of Jesus Christ on Wednesday nights, we looked at the deity of the Holy Spirit, soon we'll also look at the deity of who God the Father is, and then I'll, start, I'll tie it all together with a message on the Trinity, one of the most confusing doctrines for most Christians and it's what the cults try to do to trip you up. And why do you believe in this? And I'll be able, we'll be able to walk through the scriptures together and then put all those four studies together so you can have a handle on how God has revealed himself to us. And so I'd encourage you, pick up that study that we did on Wednesday on the Holy Spirit because we looked at, oh, the wonderful things that the Spirit of God does in our lives. But in Titus chapter 3, verse 4, it says, When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing and the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. You were washed and regenerated by God's Holy Spirit, the work of God in you, changing you. There's an old you now, Christian. The old you is dead, crucified on the cross with Jesus Christ. You were regenerated. You're a new person in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how many people want you to be identified by your past or what you have done or the failures that are always before you. In Christ, you are a new creation. You're regenerated. He's done the work. It's not by our works of righteousness, but His work. Not only does the Spirit regenerate, but the Spirit indwells you permanently, seals you. The Holy Spirit becomes a guarantee of your salvation. And in Acts chapter 1, flip over there with me, would you? Acts is just to the left of Romans. Not only does the Spirit seal us and dwell us, become our guarantee, but notice in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Spirit of God empowers us. That you're not on your own. The Spirit of God empowering you. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, you shall receive power. The original word there is dunamis, this 
extraordinary, explosive power in your life. You're going to receive a power that's not of your own. He says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, the power of God's Spirit upon you, and you shall be witnesses. Notice he doesn't say you're going to go witnessing, that, that it's going to be an event in your life, but now your life is going to be a witness, a testimony of the power of God. He says, you're going to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. And you know what our Jerusalem is right here in Aurora? That's our Jerusalem. Just the local area here. That our witness is here in Aurora, in Jerusalem. But notice, also they were to go to Judea and Samaria, to the surrounding areas, to the metro area, to the state for us. The Denver metro area become our Judea, our Samaria, the state, the United States. And then notice, to the ends of the earth. Now for some of you, when you read that, it's almost like, I've heard that verse, I've heard it a thousand times, I'm not going to the end of the earth. But listen, the disciples, when they heard this, they were blown away. They'd never really left that area around Jerusalem. They'd never really left. They've avoided Samaria their entire life. That's how they were raised. And they were going to go to places that they avoided. They were going to do things that would blow their mind. And I pray your heart is open. Like, what, to the end of the earth? Well, that's not for me. That's for the missionaries. But listen, you are a missionary. God is using you now. And God might be stirring your heart. Okay, maybe today it's not going across the globe. I understand that. Maybe it's going to begin by you today going across the street, <laughs> to your neighbor, inviting them over for the barbecue you've got planned. Okay, maybe they, they, you never see them, right? Their garage door opens, their car goes in, the garage door closes. Who are, who are my neighbors? Well, go knock on the door and meet them. Say, well, you know, I just see you guys. I know you're new to the neighborhood or we've been here for a long time. And, and why don't you come over and have a little barbecue? This is awesome. The power of God. Oh, I can't do that. Okay, great. You can't. Okay. But the Spirit of God upon you empowers you and encourages you. Oh, how encouraging it is to be a vessel for the Lord. And so in verse 8, he says, listen, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. Believer, the Spirit of God moving in you, because if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Verse 10, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, you can circle it because that word's used three times. You ready? Back in verse 9, it says the spirit of God dwells. You can circle it there. Verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You can circle that word and write next to it in any one of those verses to be at home with, to be at home. The Spirit of God dwelling in your life is the Spirit of God at home in your life. Not just the Spirit of God dwelling in you as an event that God has done in your life, that you are saved now and He dwells in you, but listen, is He at home in your life? Is He at home in your life? Are you enjoying the presence of God's Spirit in your life? Or are you quenching the Spirit of God, grieving the Spirit of God, hindering the work of God's Spirit in your life. The Spirit of God dwelling. The Spirit of God at home in you. For the most part, when you're done here today, you're going to leave and most likely go home. You're going to go home. You're not going to go to your neighbor's house. You're not going to go to the apartment that's three doors down from yours. You're not going to go to the townhome complex that's up around the corner. You're going home. Your home. The place that you live. 
the place that is yours. Now, maybe you're not paying the mortgage or the rent. You live with someone, but that's your home. You know your home. You're at home in your home. You feel a little uncomfortable in someone else's home, but you go home to your home. The Holy Spirit at home in your life. Welcome in your life. Is he? Is he welcome in your life? I'll tell you what, gang, the fiery dart that I see coming at Christians more and more is the fiery dart of sexual sin. Sexual sin. We live in a very sexually charged society today that with the temptations that come in our life, sexual sin is taking Christian down one after another after another, 10, 20, 30, 40. It's in this room right now. You walked in here with sexual sin, fornication, adultery, internet pornography, magazines, movies. It's in your life right now. So that when I ask the question, is the Holy Spirit at home in your life, you're like, I'm not sure, I don't know, because the fleshly mind sets the mind, set the fleshly life, you set your mind on the flesh, you live in the flesh, you live for the flesh, and one of the greatest hindrances that has come in the church as of late is sexual sin. Little chatting email, flirting, not averting the eyes, lust, the lust of the flesh. Listen, sexual sin grieves the heart of God. It grieves God's heart, grieving the Holy Spirit, making him sad, making him sorrowful. Bitterness and poison. Oh, sexual sin. Do you know it's a good idea to run away from sin? Did you know that? It's kind of like a big fire, you know? You don't, you don't want to run to the big fire. You want to run away from the big fire. You know, you watch those guys that chase uh, tornadoes, right? like, what are you doing? There was just one on the news not too long ago. They showed the guys. They were there with the camera. There it is. And then all of a sudden they go, oh, no, it's coming toward us. And they put their car in reverse and, and then it keeps off the other way. What are they doing? Why are they doing that? Christian, why are you messing around with sexual sin? Why? Why are you getting so close? Why are your eyes on it? Oh, you know, I can flip it in reverse any time. No, 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 no. You don't understand. It's too late. Today's the day to repent. Today's the day, not just to put it in reverse, but today's the day, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Was Jesus talking about taking away our hands? No, think about that. Say, so, oh, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off so you don't have a right hand, and, and you know, oh, that guy's been dealing with sin, you know, he doesn't have his right hand. Do you think that's going to end the sin? No. Can you still sin without your right hand? Certainly. So what was Jesus telling us? I believe what he was saying is when there's drastic, crazy sin in your life, deal with it in a drastic, crazy way. Yank the internet connection if you have to. Oh, no, Ed, I can't do that, man. I need it for work. That's it, I need it for work. I can't yank it. And listen, listen, listen to the dialogue. This is the sixth time that we've talked about this. This is the 20th time that we talked about this. You've gotten the same solution every single time, and every single time it has been a stumbling block to you, a place where it's taken you down, torn you up, but now the world has said and dictated to you how your house is going to run and how you're going to make decisions. Sexual sin is so invasive. You, you think of today, the environment today, I remember hearing some things as I was growing up, and this is difficult and that's difficult, but now that I'm growing up, I'm watching my kids grow up, I am seeing with my own eyes the difference in our society, the difference on what commercials look like today, of what they're allowing on regular TV, let alone the 5,000 channels that you can get on a dish, and the things that are coming right into your front room, 
the movies that are there, the this warped rating system, the, the, the things that are on the side of bus benches, the things that are up on billboards. I was talking to a neighbor recently whose daughter just started in a local public high school. And he began to share with me some of the things that he's dealing with with his daughter, what she's bringing home, and now how she's being exposed. As many of our kids are being exposed to the same thing, your kids, my kids. And one of the popular things with the girls right now is they've got lists of guys that they want to have sex with. And the sad thing was, they're only halfway through the school year, and by halfway through the school year, they're almost done with their list. And the world's redefining now what's appropriate and what's pure. The world is redefining, even for Christians, if we're not careful, we're not listening to God anymore, and sexual sin is undermining us. Well, it's not that big a deal, Ed. It is a big deal. It is. Grieving the work of God in your life. Bringing sin into the camp of God. I believe it's an appropriate time for us, church. God has so much for us. There's so much ahead for us as a fellowship. But when you bring sin into the camp, you hurt people. You remember the story of Achan and Joshua? You can jot it down. You can look it up later today. Achan, he was a part of the group that went in to take down Jericho in accordance with God's word. They're going to go win and take over Jericho. And they were given strict instructions, remember? Nothing. You can't take anything. You can't have anything. Don't take anything. Go in and obey God and leave. Everything that you take belongs to God. You can't keep any of it. But Achan thought he had a way out. Nobody will know. I mean, come on, nobody will know. If I just take a little garment here and, and I can hide it under my, I'll just hide it under my tent, nobody will know. Nobody will know. And so he takes it, he hides it, and for a season nobody knew until they went back to battle. And they go to the next city, Ai. They go into the next city and they're defeated. And men die as a result. And Joshua understood, you know, this was more than just a battle that we lost. Something spiritual is going on here. And God speaks to him, you know what? There's sin in the camp, Joshua. I want you to call everybody out. And as everybody's called out, there was an opportunity to repent. How many times Achan, choice after choice after choice after choice, until finally it's him and his family are taken down because of his sin. Sin in the camp. And as a pastor, I realized that there's sin in the camp. In our camp. This is our church family. There's sin in your life, sexually. And some of you haven't dealt with it. Some of you don't even want to deal with it. Some of you, you've just closed up right now. So I, I, don't, I don't like hearing that, Ed. It's not why I came to church, man. I just want you to pet me up a little bit. I want to leave smiling. I want to leave happy. I do too. I want you too. But how can you leave happy when there's sin in your life? How can you leave full of joy of the Lord when you're messing around with things that are destroying your life and your church's life? How can you live a life that you, things that are going on that are hurting your wife? Oh, she doesn't know. I know. That's even worse, isn't it? Things that are hurting your husband when you're flirting at work, ladies. Goofing off in sexual realm. Oh, it's no big deal. There, I've drawn the line, Ed. I've drawn the line. But what you've done is you've redrawn the lines that God has drawn for you. And that's always a danger. It's always a difficulty. The Spirit of God dwelling in you. Is the Spirit of God at home with you? Not when you're living in sexual sin. It may not only be sexual sin. It could be bitterness because sexual sin was committed against you. It could be anger and frustration because of a hurt. 
The Bible says this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's what the Bible says. And as a pastor, as a friend in, in the Lord, a fellow believer, I can tell you I have never met anyone that has said, never, never met anyone that's been truly repentant, truly broken by God, that would conclude and say, oh, I was happy I committed sexual sin. It was great. Great season destroying my marriage. It was wonderful. Great way to hurt my kids. Now look at they're doing. They're following in their dad's footsteps. It was wonderful. Oh, it's great. It was so great to live under that circle of condemnation where I kept beating myself up and I didn't want to do and I did do and I didn't want to do. I've never met anyone with that testimony that were truly broken by God. That sexual sin has always been, it's always been hurtful. It's always been difficult. Young people, preserve your purity. Old people, preserve your purity. It's not an age thing, is it? Temptation comes to all of us. I've never met anyone that's been happy going down the road of sexual sin. It's messed them up so bad. It's so interrupted the work of God in their heart. It's so beat them up, the pain and the sorrow and even the regret and the what am I going to do now and what have I done and oh, I wish I could, I wish I could. And, and it's good, isn't it? Romans chapter 8 verse 1 opens up with there is therefore now no condemnation. You don't have to beat yourself up, guys. God's certainly not beating you up. The pain, the sorrow, it's just rough. You know, just the opposite happens. The opposite usually happens when you hear people say, I wish I could go back. If I could just go back, I'd make different decisions. If I could just undo this, I would. I'd undo it. Every piece of it. Paul says, glorify God with your body, the temple of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit dwells in you, the Holy Spirit's at home in your life. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Stop by AboundingGraceRadio.com if you'd like a replay or listen to Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Calvary Aurora and download that today. We've been blessed in recent months by the large volume of people who have called or written to let us know that they listen and how God is doing a great work through the teaching of His Word. We're so thankful to God for this. And if you'd like to share your story, please email us through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We really do want to hear from you. We've learned today how important it is to have the Holy Spirit be at home in our lives. And we have an excellent resource to share with you that can help you in that endeavor. Pastor Ed is with me now to tell us all about it. I believe everybody listening to me right now needs to get a copy of The Man That God Uses by Pastor Chuck Smith. Uh, what a powerful tool. We, we buy these books here at Calvary by the case, and we hand them out to people that want to learn how to grow, that want to learn how to serve God. And the book says, do you want to become an instrument that God can use to accomplish his will? In this inspiring book, Chuck Smith examines the personal characteristics of the people that God used throughout the scriptures. And he looks at 14 characteristics of a godly man. Now, don't misunderstand the title. It's also for a godly woman. This is for the person that wants to serve God and, and get back to basics. Uh, this is a powerful book. You've got to get it. Whether you get it on Amazon, whether you support Abounding Grace, please do add this to your spiritual library. I believe the times are short, and there's an urgency in our lives to be usable in the Master's hands. The coming of Jesus Christ is at hand. Believe me. Trust me. 
Trust me, according to the word of God, that we are closer to the return of the Lord than ever before. And I want you to be equipped so that our lives just don't pass us by. And then we look back and go, oh, what happened? I could have, and I should have, and I would have. No, to avoid the could have, would have, should have days is to prepare ourselves and surrender ourselves and be ready to obey God now. So I'd love for you to pick up this book. I know you, I'm a little passionate about it, but I am. I am. I am passionate about it. Join me in my passion serving Jesus. That's The Man That God Uses by Pastor Chuck Smith. And we invite you to request a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call 877-30-GRACE and we'll drop that in the mail to you right away. That's 877-30-GRACE. And thank you for helping us get the word out on stations like this one. As you partner with us, it's thrilling to see how God uses it to bless and encourage so many lives through the radio. Another convenient way to make a donation is online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We'll put a bookmark where we left off today in Romans and join us next time for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor as there's so much more to come. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.